Good day, everyone, and welcome back to our message series on the end times called Endgame. Now, if you're joining us for the first time in this series, or if you've missed any of the previous messages, I strongly urge you, you are missing one half of your life. You need to go back and review the previous messages so that you get the entire picture of what we're trying to convey about the end times and why it's so critical to our lives in the present. Now, just before we get into our message for today, we all need to take a little test. And as we've often said during throughout this series, are you ready? Well, let's take the test together. This test involves memory, what we remember. Do you remember who said this? These are lines that people said, and you need to tell me who said them. Now, here's a clue. Most of them are from movies that many of you probably know. So let's begin. Who said, I am a god, you dull creature? Ah, if you said Loki from the Avengers, you are absolutely right. Now, who responded to him by saying, puny god? Well, that one is even easier. That was, of course, the Hulk. Now, Here's one that's probably more difficult, and it's my personal favorite. Who said there is only one God? Now, you might say there's so many people who said that. But remember, you're talking to the movie guy. So who said this in this series of movies? Well, it was none other than Captain America. Now, here's another one. Who said, I'll be back? Well, maybe for the slightly older audience, you will guess that this was Arnold Schwarzenegger as the Terminator. But this last one is not from a movie. This is real life. Who said, yes, I am coming quickly? And of course, we all know the one who said that is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it important for us to study the end times? You know, there are so many details, so many debates, so many points of view about the end times. So we basically just boiled it down to one essential truth. And that is, Jesus is coming again. We just do not know when. And what are the implications of that statement? Well, before that, let me tell you, once upon a time, believe it or not, I used to be a worship leader in CCF. Yes, a long time ago, Old Testament days, so to speak. But I remember very often I would remind the worshipers, the audience, the congregation, today brings us one day closer to the return of Jesus, and we would all erupt in applause and in hallelujahs. And folks, that is just as true today as it was then. This day brings us one day closer to the return of Jesus than we were yesterday. But you and I need to understand the implication of the return of Jesus Christ, the sure and imminent return of our Lord, Master, and King. It's not just about a happy reunion, although it will be that between Jesus and his people, but it will be a time of reckoning. It will be a time when Jesus returns also as King and as Judge, and who will deal decisively with sin once and for all. And you and I need to understand that very clearly. Now, today's text will be from the point of view of one of Jesus' disciples, the Apostle Peter. And we'll be specifically reading from 2 Peter chapter 3 to see what he had to say about the end times. The title of our message today is, Be Ready, Because the End is Only the Beginning. What do we mean? by the end is only the beginning. Well, it simply means that 
the end of everything we know, the end of everything we see as we know it, it will come. But that end will usher in only the beginning. The beginning of what? The beginning of eternity. Let me explain it through this picture. As you see here, the main road comes to an end. But it actually does not come to an end. It just branches out into another road going left and another road going right. So in the same manner, everything as we know it today will come to an end. But that end will only usher in a beginning, the beginning of eternity. And why is this so important to you and to me? Because you and I were created for eternity. And the only question is, what will that eternity be like? Where will we spend it? I want to bring us back to a verse that we looked at in the very first message when Pastor Peter started us off on this series. And that is from Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. You know, one question that Pastor Peter asked at the very start of this series was this. Why should we study the end times? Why should we study what the Bible says will happen in the future? And one important answer to that question is, so that you and I can make important decisions, wise decisions in the present. And folks, there is a decision so critical that the way we decide it will have eternal consequences. Just like what it says in Daniel 12.2, either we will go to everlasting life, which means eternity in the presence of Jesus, peace and joy forever, or everlasting contempt. The word contempt there means abhorrence. It means it is something you and I absolutely will never want to happen to us or to those whom we love. So folks, indeed, the end is only the beginning. Fortunately for us, Second Peter, especially chapter 3, tells us how to be ready. So this is not just about telling us to be ready, but it shows us, especially the followers of Jesus, how indeed we can be ready. There are three things that we're going to look at as an outline, as it were, for 2 Peter chapter 3, about how to be ready. And that is, number one, we need to believe God's promise. The promise that Jesus is coming back, he is coming quickly, he is coming soon. We just don't know when. The second way to be ready is we need to respond to God's patience. And the final way to be ready is we need to live for God's pleasure, to honor Him, to glorify Him. So let's begin 2 Peter chapter 3 together. Let's begin with verse 1 and 2. Here we go. This is what Peter writes. He said, Beloved, this is now the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of a reminder. The Apostle Peter is saying, I'm stirring up. It means to wake up fully. Hoi, gising. That's what it really means. And he's saying, I'm stirring up your sincere mind. Sincere mind simply means uh, something sincere, if you hold it up to the sunlight, it, it comes out pure. So he's saying to the early believers, I know you mean well, I know you love Jesus, but I still need to stir you up. I still need to wake you up and make you absolutely conscious. About what? Well, he says, to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. That's one and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Bottom line is, the Apostle Peter is reminding the early believers. And remember, 
they were mostly subject to persecution, a lot of pressure. Many of them must have been discouraged, disillusioned, maybe even having doubts about their faith. And so, the Apostle Peter was reminding them, Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming again. We just do not know when. And when he refers to the holy prophets, he's referring to something like this. In Daniel chapter 7, it says, I kept looking in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, and by now you and I know that this is Jesus, right? One like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So even in the scriptures that the early Christians knew, which we now know to be the Old Testament, it was very clear, Jesus, the King, the Judge, He is coming soon. And when it comes to the commandment of the Lord and Savior that Peter mentioned, we saw this last week, Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus said, Therefore be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. Verse 44, same thing. For this reason, you must be ready as well, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think He will. You know, I learned a couple of things from this command of Jesus. Be on the alert. You must be ready. I realize that being ready is not just a nice idea. Being ready is not a suggestion. Being ready is a command. It is so important that you and I don't just believe in the head that Jesus is coming. It has to be a conviction of the heart, a conviction that impacts and translates into our daily life. Do we live every day with the conscious thought that today or tomorrow may be the day Jesus comes back? Does his promised return impact our daily living. Well, this whole truth about Jesus coming back was so important that Jesus left a reminder about that right after he left. Now, I know many of you have been on Zoom meetings, and usually when you need to take a break, you type something in the chat box. Usually it's three letters. Do you remember what those three letters are? Usually it's what? B-R-B, which means be right back. And you know what? Right after Jesus ascended back to heaven, he left a B-R-B for us to remember that he will be back. What do I mean? In Acts chapter 1, it says, And as they, the disciples, were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, then behold, two men... These are angels in white clothing stood beside them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The very first reminder that Jesus left after he had ascended was, I'm coming back. Going back to the letter of Peter, remember the first thing we need to do to be ready is to remember and to believe in God's promise. Even earlier in his letter, Peter was saying the same thing. He said, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Just like you and me today, we know in our heads, we've heard it many times said, Jesus is coming. But here Peter is saying, I am going to make my, my life's mission to be your chief reminding officer, your CRO, so that you never lose sight of the fact that indeed today or tomorrow, Jesus could come. And then he says in verse 13, I consider it right 
as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder. What did the Apostle Peter mean when he said, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling? This earthly dwelling is this, our physical body. And he was saying that for as long as I have breath in my body, for as long as I'm alive, my highest priority will be to remind you, to persevere, to hold on to your faith, because Jesus is coming. You need to be ready because the end is only the beginning. Now, was Peter being just melodramatic when he said, while I am in this earthly dwelling? Actually, no. Let me explain to you why he was so emphatic. In the next verse, he said, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. In other words, the Lord Jesus had revealed to Peter, Peter, you are at the end of your life. You don't have much time left. And that's why Peter's conviction was so strong to keep reminding, to keep encouraging people that Jesus is coming back. He said, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. And you know what? The Lord honored Peter's heart because here we are 2,000 plus years later and we are still being reminded by God's word through the apostle Peter. Amazing. Again, why was Peter so emphatic about reminding people that Jesus is coming again? As I said earlier, he was writing to a Christian audience who were under persecution. And it's very possible that these brethren were discouraged, disillusioned, having doubts about their faith. Maybe some of them were being tempted to go uh, and succumb to the temptations of this world. Well, you know what? It's no different today. Maybe you, as a follower of Jesus, are not undergoing persecution exactly, but you may be dealing with things in your life. You may be feeling doubts about the future. You may be depressed or you may be going through pain or maybe you're being exposed to temptations and you're saying, you know, maybe the Christian life is not really worth living. Well, folks, let's go back to what the Apostle Peter had to say. Why was he so adamant about his reminder? He warned us back in chapter 3, Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep and all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. Peter warns us of mockers coming in the last day. You see, a mocker is someone who arrogantly takes something that is very serious and treats it like a toy, treats it without any reverence, without any seriousness. And uh, the allegation of these mockers is that Jesus is not coming back. They say, where is the promise of his coming? And then they give this exaggerated justification. They say, ever since our ancestors, our father fell asleep, uh, everything has been going just as it has, even from the very beginning of creation. But you know what? The bottom line is, this is their agenda. This is why they keep asserting Jesus is not coming back. Because they want to follow after their own lusts. In other words, if people convince themselves that Jesus is not returning... That means there is no day of judgment. That means there is no day of reckoning. That means we can do whatever we want in life and we will never have to be accountable for it. And so the Apostle Peter is saying, be very careful that you don't follow after these people, that you don't listen or align yourself with the way that they think. Because it's true. If you and I don't guard our hearts, we may begin to live lukewarm or compromised Christian lives. Here is now Peter's counter-argument to these mockers. 
he's saying, when they maintain this, meaning to say when they maintain their assertion that there is no day of accountability, Jesus is not going to come back. When they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed by being flooded with water. The Apostle Peter makes reference to the Word of God. And he's basically implying two things about the Word of God. Number one, it is all-powerful. He's saying these people are forgetting that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed by the Word of God. Everything that we see, this earth, the universe, the stars, the planets, even the things we don't see, all of these were spoken into existence. Imagine that by the all-powerful Word of God. But Peter is also saying that the Word of God is absolutely reliable. You remember from last week, God warned the people during Noah's time, this world is corrupted by sin and there will be a time of reckoning and this world will be destroyed by being flooded with water. And since God's word is absolutely reliable, of course, one day it happened. When they least expected it, God judged the world severely. And so now Peter drops the bombshell. In verse 7, he says, By his word, meaning the all-powerful, absolutely reliable word of God, he's saying, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire. Not just the earth, but the heavens as well. Everything, everything in creation as we know it, will be destroyed by fire. And this, he says, is the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. Ungodly meaning people who have no reverential fear of God whatsoever in their lives. But why is this important for followers of Jesus to hear? Well, like we said, if we don't guard our hearts, if we're not careful, we may go astray. We may end up living lukewarm lives, you know, just coasting along, no passion for God. Or worse, we may end up living compromised lives, lives of sin, and you know what? When a Christian, when a professing Christian starts living a life just like everybody else in the world, that professing believer is also mocking God because he's living as if Jesus is never coming back. And that's why we're warned in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. And get verse 17. This is probably the most important. The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. I'm reminded of a brother of ours who many years ago was separated from his wife. And he came to a Bible study and he gave his life to Jesus. Things began to change. He was reconciled with his wife. He began to teach the Bible. He began to lead a small group. His wife was also involved in ministry and things seemed to be going so well. But this man was an astute businessman. Now, there's nothing wrong with being an astute businessman except that there was this fantastic business opportunity abroad and his heart was drawn away towards the material gain that that business venture promised him. And so he left the Philippines to do business abroad for quite some time. And he was telling himself, mind you, at the beginning, he was saying, oh, I will be accountable. I will even go to church uh, in that foreign country. But you know what? The temptations got the better of him. Eventually, he began to party. 
He began to wine and dine with people. He began to flirt with the opposite sex. But you know, that business venture eventually was sold and it gave him the opportunity to come back to the Philippines. But unfortunately, his mind and his heart were no longer revering his Lord and Savior. He was already behaving and thinking as if Jesus would never come back again. And so when he came back, he got into another business venture. He started to mix with the rich and powerful, made lots of money, had one affair after another. His wife left him. His children were angry at him. He stopped his quiet time attending his small group. He stopped worship. And you know what? At that point, he didn't care because he was living strictly for himself and for the here and now. So his life made a mockery of Jesus and made a mockery of the fact that Jesus could come anytime. What happened to our brother? I'll let you know later. Let's go back to our message first. So remember, the first way to be ready is to believe in God's promise. And what does that mean? It means you and I need to have a genuine conviction that Jesus is coming soon such that it impacts your everyday life. That is the first way, folks, that Peter tells us how to be ready. The next way to be ready is to respond to God's patience. Now, this is very interesting. Listen to what Peter has to say about this. He says, verse 8, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. What does that mean? It means as far as God is concerned, He is not constrained, certainly not by space, because he's, he's omnipresent, but he is not constrained by time. He is from everlasting to everlasting. God is forever. He was there from eternity past. He will be there until eternity future. So his concept and operation of time is nothing like what you and I are familiar with. But the important thing is this. Verse 9, the Lord is not slow. If you think the Lord is slow in returning. Peter says, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. As I was reading these verses, one of my reflections was this. I praise God that he did not come back, that Jesus did not return in 1985. Do you know why I praise Jesus that he didn't come back in 1985? Because I realized he was being patient with me because I gave my life to Jesus in 1986. If he had come back in 1985, what would have happened to me? I would have not had any more hope. Aren't you glad? that Jesus is patient and that this seeming delay is actually just an expression of the fact that he doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. You see, the word perish is a very strong word. It doesn't just mean to be completely destroyed. It means to be cut off absolutely, meaning to spend eternity away from the presence of God. And that's why God's desire, God's heart, is that everyone will come to repentance. Repentance is a change of mind, yes, but it's a change in the inner person that allows that person to live a changed life. And that change can only happen when a person surrenders his life completely to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Why is it so important for God to all to come to repentance? Well, He knows the end game. He knows how it all turns out. And that's why here in 2 Peter 3.10, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, 
and the earth and its works will be burned up. It says here, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. A thief will never make an advance appointment. He will never knock on your door. He will never be like a food delivery service and say, your deliveries on the way will be there in 15 minutes. Jesus himself said, the Son of Man is coming at a time when we least expect him to do so. And then Peter re-emphasizes, the heavens will pass away with a roar. Um, you know, when I was thinking about this phrase, about the cataclysm that's going to take place at the end, I could only remember the ending scene of this movie, Only the Brave. And in that movie, Only the Brave, a bunch of firefighters were trying to put out a forest fire. And you and I know how terrible these forest fires can be. And they were being overwhelmed and overtaken by the flames. And so what they did was they took their fireproof blankets, they put it over themselves, and then they lay down on the ground. And at that moment, the flames overtook them. And that roar, that sudden whoosh, just engulfed them completely. And sadly, none of them survived. But that is just a small depiction of what Peter is saying, that the heavens will pass away with a roar. The elements, the basic building blocks of creation as we know it, everything will be destroyed. Everything will be burned up and the earth and its works will be burned in intense heat. I don't know how exactly that is going to happen. Some people say maybe it's a nuclear holocaust, but if you ask me personally, I don't think anything man-made is capable of causing something like this. It is a divinely powerful cataclysmic event that only God can cause to happen. Even in the Old Testament, we are told about this day of the Lord. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, for example, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch." That day is coming. That's why we said we need to understand the full implication of the return of Jesus. It's not just a happy reunion, but it's the coming of the judge who will judge this world, who will judge sin decisively once and for all. And what does that mean to the follower of Jesus? Well, this may not be our ultimate destiny because of our salvation by faith, by grace through Jesus Christ. But it's still a reminder that should kindle a reverent fear of God in our hearts. Because even for God's people, we know, as it's stated in Romans 14, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall give praise to God, so then, each one of us will give an account of himself to God. And that's why Peter was saying, don't listen to the mockers. Don't let them distract you. Don't let the enticements of this world draw your heart away from Jesus. Believe the promise of God. Respond to his patience. If you're a Christian, but you're living a wayward life, this is your opportunity to come back to Jesus because indeed there will be a time of accounting for everything we've done on this earth. So what does it mean to respond to God's patience? Well, it means to commit or to recommit your life fully to Jesus as your Lord, your Master, and your Savior. If you're listening to this message and you have never committed your life to Jesus, we will give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the message. As far as recommitting your life, do you remember that brother I told you about? Well, God was really patient with him. He gave him a chance to repent. God allowed him to have many, many problems. And because of those problems, he realized how far he had strayed from God. 
He repented. He went back to Jesus. He went back to his family. Today, he's living a much simpler life, and they're all serving the Lord. Why? Because God is patient, and you and I need to respond to that patience. The final way that you and I can be ready is to live for God's pleasure. 2 Peter chapter 3, again now in verse 11, Peter makes the conclusion, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It's funny, he answers his own question. He's saying, since we already know that creation as we know it today will someday be destroyed completely, we should live lives of holy conduct and godliness. We are a holy people set apart for God, meaning to say our thoughts, our motives, the decisions we make, the way we handle money, our family relationships, the way we do business, all of these things should be done for God's pleasure for his glory, and for his honor. And the word godliness here literally means good worship. It means that the way we live our lives should be a way of constant day-by-day, moment-by-moment worship. Remember the word of God says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then Peter says something more. He says, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. He's saying that yes, this is a fearsome time. And he again describes what it's going to be like. But Peter is saying something amazing. Listen carefully. He says that if you are a child of God, a true follower of Jesus, you can actually look for and hasten, meaning to say you can actually look forward to this. To hasten means to earnestly desire. You can actually say, yes, come Lord Jesus. I know how cataclysmic this end will be, but I also know that the end is what? Only the beginning. That is our message today. I know that the end will be only the beginning of my eternity with you. And that's why Peter is saying we can look forward to it. We can even hasten it. And last week, Pastor Peter reminded us that we can have a role to play in hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. In Matthew 24, 14, we read this. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. This is a golden opportunity for us to share Jesus with our family, our relatives, and our friends. This is part of the way we live for God's pleasure because after all, this is the mission he gave us. And as we have been reminded several times over, if you have not gone through go viral training, we urge you, to be trained in this process. It's very simple. It's proven very effective. I've gone through the training myself and put it into application. But of course, our confidence is not in the method, but in the power of the Spirit and the Word of God. So let's go back to Second Peter. This is the reason why we're saying the end is only the beginning. He says in verse 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, now, just a moment. We'll park that thought for just a moment, verse 13, and we will continue talking about what it means to live for God's pleasure. But this is really what we are looking forward to if we are followers of Jesus. But in verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found spotless, blameless and at peace, at peace with God and at peace with people. And then he says further in verse 17, you therefore beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men 
and fall from your own steadfastness. Remember, Peter was warning, there will be mockers, there will be temptations, there will be trials. Don't let them knock you off your faith. Be steadfast, be persevering. And then he says, the best way to be steadfast is verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Meaning, grow more in love with Jesus. Spend time with Him. Let Him speak to you. Speak to Him. Spend time in His Word, in private worship, studying the Bible. And I love this last line of Peter. He says, To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Indeed, the end is only the beginning. What does it mean, therefore, to live for God's pleasure? Well, we learned many things from what Peter said in these several verses. To live for God's pleasure means live a holy and godly life. It means tell others about Jesus. That's our mission. It also means guarding against temptation so that we will walk the straight and narrow path every day of our life. And the best way to do that is to grow in our love relationship with Jesus. Folks, what is the message today? Be ready because the end is only the beginning. Last Sunday, July 11, billionaire Sir Richard Branson flew 282,000 feet into the edge of space. He saw the curvature of the earth. He saw the blackness of space. And after that relatively short flight, came back down to earth safely. And even one of the richest men in the world was at a loss for words when he saw the beauty of God's handiwork. Here are a couple of things that he said when he landed. He said, I have dreamt of this moment since I was a kid. And honestly, nothing could prepare you for the view of Earth from space. I'm never going to be able to do it justice. It's indescribably beautiful. And he's right. God's creation is wonderful and beautiful. But this world has been corrupted by sin. And the Bible tells us that the heavens and the earth will all be burned up because they're going to make way for something new. And that's why we go back to verse 13. This, by the way, is our memory verse. So why don't we say this together? 2 Peter 3.13 But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness, meaning the righteousness of God, will dwell forever. How beautiful will this be? this new heavens and the new earth. It's indescribable. The Word of God says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But as we contemplate this indescribably beautiful eternity with Jesus, it somehow brings me back to the last night of Jesus' life. In that last night of Jesus' life, before he was arrested, he again promised his disciples that he would come back. But he phrased it in a very tender and very different way. This is what I mean. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. There you have his promise. And receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Do you remember the occupation of Jesus when he was on earth? He was a carpenter. I'm sure he was an excellent carpenter. But Jesus is the creator of all things. And I can only begin to imagine when he says, I go to prepare a place for you. I can only begin to imagine 
how immensely and indescribably beautiful that place must be. Still, the Bible gives us a small glimpse of that new heavens and earth. And I'd like to share it with you as we end. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, just like God promised. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And here is the best part. Now, I'm purposely not going to talk about the latter verses where it says, uh, streets of gold like transparent glass, precious stones making up the foundations, every gate made out of a single pearl. All of that is just mind-blowing. But let me tell you what is really the best part about this heavenly place where God's people will spend forever with Jesus. It says here, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, because the first things have passed away. Folks, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, for Him to be your Lord and Savior, this is where we will spend eternity. And there are two things I'd like to highlight about what God is telling us in this passage. The first thing is, what will be absent? What will be absent from this place? It says, there will no longer be any death. You know, throughout this pandemic, there has been so much death, so much mourning, so much crying, so much pain. But it says here in this new heavens and new earth, no longer be any death, no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. So these will be what will be absent. You will not find them anywhere in this place. But the second thing I'd like to highlight is who will be present? First, God's people. God's people, all who call upon the name of the Lord in spirit and truth as Lord and Savior. We will all be together there. The end will be this new beginning. It will be wonderful. My wife will be there. All of the brethren who've gone ahead of us into the presence of Jesus, they will all be there. But most of all, God himself will be among them. We will be in the glorious presence of Jesus Christ for the rest of eternity. And folks, that's why we study what the Bible says about the future, so that we can make wise decisions in the present, so that God's people can be ready, so that we can believe in the promise of God, so that we can respond to his patience, so that we can live for his pleasure. And just in case you're listening today and you have not given your life to Jesus, now is the day of salvation. Now is your opportunity. Not tomorrow, today, right now, because Jesus can come anytime. And as we close, let me just lead us in a word of prayer. If you are that person who's never given his life to Jesus, let me help you do that now. And just in case you are a follower of Jesus, but you realize that you're living a lukewarm Christian life, or worse, you're compromising, you're toying with sin, you're living your life without any thought about Jesus' return, I'd like to help you recommit your life to Jesus as well. Shall we pray together? First of all, if you are that follower of Jesus who's gone astray, just tell him, Lord, I am so deeply, deeply sorry. I have been living for myself. 
according to my pleasures. And Lord, I have taken you for granted. Thank you for rekindling a reverent fear of you in my heart today. And Lord, from this day forward, by your grace and by the power of your spirit, I will live for you. I will live every day of my life for your pleasure, for your glory. And if you're that person who's never committed his life to Christ, well, pray with me and tell him, Lord Jesus, today I want to make the most important decision of my life. I want to receive you into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. I confess and I repent of all of my sin. Jesus, you are my Lord and my Master from this day forward. Help me to live consciously, knowing that you could come back anytime. And because you loved me and gave yourself for me, the end will only usher in a beginning where I will live with you forever. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, if the Lord has spoken to you through his word today, we would love to connect with you. So at the bottom of your screen, you have some instructions about how we can do that. You have a QR code that we can chat with you. We, we also have an online welcome center. So if you're with us for the first time, or even if it's not the first time, but you'd like someone to just speak with you and pray with you, please visit the online welcome center. You can do that by Zoom. You can also do it by chat. The bottom line is we would love to know you. We would love to connect with you. In the meantime, please stay tuned. We will have some discussion questions that you can use with your family and your small group. And we will also come back with Sunday Fast Track. God bless you all and stay safe.